Matthew 5, 37 page 736 in the Pew Bibles. Teaching about vows. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break <coughs> your vows. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is the city of the great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. In Psalm 119, 29-40, page 469. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws, Lord. Don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding. Teach me your decrees, O Lord. I will keep them to the end. Give me understanding, and I will obey your instructions. I will put them into practice with all of my heart. Make me walk along the path of your commands, for that is where my happiness is found. Give me an eagerness for your laws rather than a love for money. Turn my eyes from worthless things and give me life through your word. Reassure me of your promise made to those who fear you. Help me abandon my shameful ways, for your regulations are good. I long to obey your commandments. Renew my life with your goodness. Thank you. Angela, uh, and it was really exciting for your friends to know you're all the way down to Stuart Island, and we are called to be witnesses to the end of the year. Uh, so Angela has overcome, that's true, she's overcome her physical and spiritual fears um, to fulfil that call, and, and we're called to do the same, and Angela's shown that you, know, you can be brave enough to do that, so the challenge is for us to do the same as well. Jesus sums it up well. Let your yes be yes, and your no be no. In fact, it would be easier to just make vows that you know you won't break than what Jesus asks us to do in this passage. Jesus is not simply saying, uh, giving us a rule to make, no, not to make any vows at all, like we, even marriage vows or work religious vows. Jesus is saying that he wants us to strive for an absolute integrity and honesty like God's, which we know we cannot reach. But Jesus, the Son of God, did have absolute honesty and integrity, and so we aim to grow to be more like him. As we consider this passage on the making and breaking of oaths and vows, I want us to consider two broader elements that this week's message leads to. One is that we have a tendency to lie, or at least exaggerate, which is a dilemma if we think we must prove our integrity through making vows. 
The second thing is that we tend to compartmentalize God into the parts of our lives we are happy to and leave him out of the other parts of our lives that we may be even ever so slightly dishonest. And this is what Jesus was pointing out in regards not just to the custom of declaring oaths within the society, but the requirement to always speak the truth in everything. We have a tendency to colour our words with our point of view, with a bias. We tend to emphasise or phrase things or add a little bit of extra detail or leave a detail out that might deliberately paint a picture of an idea or event that doesn't quite ring true. We see this through these scriptures that the teachers of the law in the Jewish culture were manipulating God's word to suit their own lives. But we've been sort of pointing the finger at the teachers of the law the last few weeks, so this week I want us to give them a little bit of a break and recognise that we ourselves also do exactly the same thing as they do. We fall into the same errors. Let me give you an example of a group today, in society today, who are shockingly prone to exaggerate, adding details and painting a picture that isn't quite authentic. Sadly, it's a group that I belong to. And I've coerced you guys, some of you guys, to join it too. I'm talking about the League of Fishermen. Yeah. Um, and this is a, it's an agreement that all fishermen exaggerate the size of the fish that they caught or which got away or how many they caught. Uh, and for those out there who aren't fishermen, well, don't sit back and sigh of relief and think, oh, I don't have to worry about today. Have a think about other everyday aspects of your life which might fall into lying or exaggerating or compartmentalising God in the areas that you like him to be in and not in others. A couple of years ago, uh, we found that Lake Tekapo was a perfect place to go fishing. Beautiful bays, beautiful landscape, and a few fish. Sam and I went there, and we um, were delighted the first time um, to catch a number of fish. Uh, and we went back again and again. Sometimes the fish were a little bit small. Uh, although I was still excited about catching those fish. All right? And so I'd take a photo of it and send it through to Louise. Um, but because they were small, I had to just exaggerate the size a little bit. And so sometimes they had to angle the camera somewhat. McGregor Simpson's up there to vouch for the size of that fish, although even the photo doesn't make that look big. Um, this one here of Sam's, that looks monstrous um, because of the camera angle. And I've learned that if you angle the fish a little bit, you can make it look twice as long as it really is. Um, so there I am, uh, exaggerating, manipulating something um, for my wife to believe what she didn't. Anyway. Um, but I was excited, and, and then... Uh, after fishing there for some time we found a new spot. Now I didn't have to exaggerate the size of the fish at that point because not only were there plenty of fish there but they were a lot bigger. Uh, and there's one of the catches from end of last year. Um, but I now fall into the problem of compartmentalising God into areas of my life. You see you're allowed six fish uh, when you're fishing any time of the year. It's all, uh, all year fishing at Lake Tikipo. You can get up to six fish either um, two trout and four salmon, or, four, uh, or two salmon and four trout. I've never quite got to six, I've got five that time. Um, but if I'd got to six, because I'm out in the middle of nowhere, what would I have done if I caught six? Would I keep on fishing? What do you think? Mm. Don't tell me, I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in this case, I've got four salmon there, one trout. If I would I have kept on fishing? And if I would kept on fishing to get that six fish, which was allowed, as long as it was trout, what if it was a whopping big salmon? Would I have put it back? 
Oh, don't tell me, I don't want to know. Um, but this, this is where, you know, the compartmentalising of the Christian fisherman. Because uh, I go out there and I enjoy the time. I pray to God when I'm out there. I pray for you guys. I pray for lots of situations. Would I then think, well, I'm praying for a God, to a God who's far away. He won't notice if I take something which isn't legal. How do we do that in our own lives? Let me uh, read to you a quote from William Barclay, a theologian. It's a longish sort of quote. I've abbreviated a little bit, but it's worth hearing the whole thing. He says this, Here is a great eternal truth. Life cannot be divided into compartments, in some of which God is involved in, and others of which he is not involved. There cannot be one kind of language in the church and another kind of language in the office. There cannot be one kind of conduct in the church and another kind of conduct in the business world. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain departments of life and kept out of others. He is everywhere, all through life and in every activity of life. He hears not only the words which are spoken in his name, he hears all words. And there cannot be any such thing as a form of words which evades bringing God into transaction. We regard all promises as sacred if we remember that all promises are made in the presence of God. And the teachers of the law were guilty of compartmentalizing God and keeping him out of some areas of their life, just like we are. They were very strict about the Ten Commandments, such as do not use the Lord's name in vain, in other words, do not swear an oath under the Lord as your witness with the intent to break it. They wanted to follow that by the letter, while living by their own rules. So they decided to fish around for a loophole in the law, and they found it. Instead of swearing to God, they made their oaths under whatever other thing they wanted. Heaven, earth, the temple, their own head, and therefore didn't care the utmost about keeping such oaths. They were determined that they would keep the letter of the law, but they didn't seem to care if they ignored the spirit of the law. They would swear with enthusiasm by heaven until their oath was accepted by the other person, and then give tuppence to actually keeping it. And even while it does not seem so common in our language today to use an oath, our keeping of our word is often done as poorly as the teachers of the law. So this is why Jesus says, don't swear by heaven or earth or the temple or your own head because heaven is a residence of God. And so you're really making an oath under God's name. And if you swear by earth or anything in it, then you're really, still really making an oath under God's name, the ruler and creator of all. And so Jesus points out that it's best not to make any vows at all. Nonetheless, we can read of many oaths made by characters in the Bible. Many are done rashly, or under stress, or even deceitfully, and with manipulation. <coughs> the few read of in the Bible that do seem to stand up to their integrity are the ones between a person and God, where we see a right response between both parties. God himself declares an oath unto himself, because there's no one greater to um, swear by. And he does that to Abraham. When Abraham um, goes through the process of willing to give his son, Isaac, his one and only son, back to God, um, God says, because you did this, I swear I'm going to make you into a great nation, <coughs> into a, a kingdom. Jesus tells us, 
Just mean what you mean. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. So that you can always be considered a person of integrity and someone who glorifies God in all that you say and do. When Jesus returns and everything is made new, there will not be a need to make an oath because then we will be resurrected into our new selves and we will have all the honesty in every word that we say. It appears oaths have a purpose and a problem and a principle. The purpose of an oath was simply a mark of integrity to seal an agreement, to confirm a decision that was to be made. Uh, for example, going back to Abraham again, we have uh, him making an oath to Abimelech, two powerful men, and they make an oath to uh, look after each other, make sure they're neither fighting, and it's at a site of the well where Abraham says to Abimelech, now I want you to know, I dug this well. Your men are you know, arguing about it. And Abimelech takes him for his word. He says, you've said it, it's all done and deal. The place that was done was uh, Beersheba, which means a well of the oath. And also oaths have a problem. We are liars. We exaggerate and give partial truth. We use them in such a way as to conjure up a loophole in our legal standings. These days, making an oath in everyday discussion generally suggests that there's an element of dishonesty in your character rather than integrity. They've become a mark of deceit because if you have to make an oath, then it leads to the suspicions that your character wouldn't tend to keep that promise in other circumstances. And there's a principle to the oath. The principle is to make something which is unmovable, that is binding forever between you and God. Now that's where the oath means to fence in uh, or to make steadfast. And so a vow would demonstrate our steadfastness in the matter. In our own lives, society and church itself, there are certain vows or promises that we hold as very important. We, uh, in this church, over the last couple of decades, there's been a lot of dedications of young children. Uh, and here we've got, it's lovely to actually see little Henry here today. In fact, right now, let's just pray for Henry and his family. Just interrupt this sermon, just to pray for them. Lord, I thank you, families. And I thank you especially for Henry, newborn boy and his family. And I pray, Lord, that um, wherever they go, whatever they do, that they would find the face of God there, wrapping their arms around this family and blessing them. In Jesus' name, amen. And so with dedications, uh, we often, over the last two decades, we've had families decide, let's dedicate our child, um, because they're not old enough to make a decision themselves, to make a vow to God. Uh, but we are, as parents, so we do a solemn vow, and we do it in the presence of God. And as a church family, you take part of it by, when we ask, will you also support the family? You do. Uh, now, that's one way. There's infant baptisms, christenings. I was uh, christened here in this church many, many, many years ago. I was old enough, three years old, to remember the situation. But our six children, uh, we dedicated. Because I can imagine, like, someone like Sophie Rose, if we had done an infant baptism, then um, we might have gone home to this little story. She would get up her cell phone and say to her friends, well, so today at church a guy in a suit tried to drown me. And I kid you not, my family just stood there taking pictures. Oh, maybe. I don't know if she would do that or not. We also have the marriage vows, something which we've talked about over the last few weeks, and, and it is just such a sincere and 
deep vow, not just to one another, but in the presence of God. What you say to God about this uniting with one another. Uh, there are some vocations, uh, like a doctor uh, who would do a Hippocratic oath, or the ordination of a minister of word and sacrament, where they say, Lord, uh, I promise to lead a church congregation in your truth uh, as best I can. And there's also some promises which are personal, a personal moment between you and God. And that might be when you first came to know him. You might say, Lord Jesus, I choose to follow you even if everyone else is going in the opposite direction. So you make these promises, these vows. The importance in our words and deeds is that we are accountable to God in everything we say and do. Truth has no degrees or shades. A half-truth is a whole lie. The standard God asks of us is for absolute truthfulness. Truth in our innermost being, Psalm 51. And in Psalm 119 today, Angela read it, it starts with saying, Don't let me lie to myself. One of the examples of a, a deeply set vow in the Bible to God was the story of Hannah. And it's in the first book of Samuel, right at the beginning of the first book of Samuel. Hannah was one of two wives of Elkanah, and um, she was ridiculed and teased by the other wife because she was barren. She had no children, and it tormented her. And she went down to the temple, as they did every year, and she was praying bitterly and desperately in her stress for God to intervene. And Eli comes around and talks to her and, and realises her deep prayer and says, well, may the Lord bless you. And she did. She went away and, and, and he blessed her with a young son called Samuel. And that was the beginning of a wonderful step forward um, with Samuel leading the Israelites in many ways. It wasn't easy. Sometimes Samuel found that the Israelites were ready to walk away and they wanted a king rather than God as their king leading them into the wars. But he also was a prophet and judge who discovered David and listened to God and anointed David to begin the line of um, David to bring us to Jesus Christ being born. The story of Hannah and her deep heightened distress towards God for answering is a good pattern to follow when we look at uh, a vow between us and God. Let me read to you first, though, Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 to 23. When you make a vow to the Lord your God, be prompt in fulfilling whatever you promised him. When Hannah, um, with her child, um, as soon as he's old enough, he, she returned um, Samuel to the temple where he served God. And so there was her fulfilling the vow she had made to the Lord. For the Lord your God demands that you promptly fulfill all your vows, or you will be guilty of sin. However, it is not a sin to refrain from making a vow. But once you have voluntarily made a vow, be careful to fulfill your promise to the Lord your God. I want to give you a local story. A local story about a man who was in distress, great distress, and he called out to God uh, with a vow, and God answered him. And he replied, responded. Uh, some of you will know Jackie Morrison and her late husband Bob Morrison. They've been part of this church for many years. Some of you won't know uh, the story uh, of Bob Morrison's dad. Uh, the Morrisons used to have a lot of department stores on the other side of the town, uh, on this main street. 
But um, Bob Morrison's dad, who's also called Bob Morrison, so he, so this one I'm telling you the story of is Bob Morrison the second, because his dad was also Bob Morrison. So Bob Morrison the second, um, there's a photo of some of the Morrisons up there, and Bob Morrison the second is on the back right, second from the back right. If you, you might not be able to see it very well there, but there's a photo of him, and he loved fishing like I do, and. He went out one day with two of his friends to the Rangitata hut. They had a boat down there, a rowboat down there, and they decided to um, take that, go fishing, cross over the river, the mouth, to the Ashburton side. They fished there until quite late, and then when it was time to come back, they rowed across back towards the Rangitata huts in that side. But the boat got caught in the current, which started dragging them out towards sea. One of the friends um, jumped up, uh, jumped off the boat, I guess maybe grabbing a rope or whatever to try and help them get to shore, but it capsized the boat and all three men were thrown into the water and pulled out to sea. Sadly, uh, Bob Morrison's two friends drowned. Uh, but Bob was able to get rid of his heavy boots and then um, be there in the waters along the uh, Rangitata beach um, trying his best to get ashore. Twice. He almost got washed up onto shore, um, but both times he didn't have enough strength to actually get up on shore before he was dragged out uh, into the waves. This all happened about 11.30 at night, and the stars are out, and it's said that Bob Morrison was there in the sea, looking at the stars, knowing that it was dragging him north, and he prayed out to God for help. And he vowed that if God would save his life, he would come back and do something, or um, create something, uh, for God here in Geraldine. The third time that Bob Morrison was uh, washed onto the shore, he was able to get onto the shingle and drag himself on shore. Wet, bedraggled, and he walked along until he got to a farm at Coldstream, where he was able to dry off, get some of eat, and early in the morning get travelled back down to Geraldine. Uh, it was about 8 a.m. when the police were all, had already um, known that the um, boat had capsized. They went to see the family didn't know what had happened, um, but then he turned up right at that time. And as you can imagine, his family were very, truly thankful. And Bob remembered his two hours in the sea. While Bob had always been a faithful man to Jesus, people noted something stronger in that faith since the day God rescued him from the sea. And when you go over to the Fresh Choice on Peel Street, look across the road, because there you'll see what he vowed. Um, to God. A little church, Pill Street Church. Um, and he vowed that he would build something like this uh, to thank God for what he had done in his life. If we do promise something to God, then let us not take too much time to fulfill it. We are called to be fishers of men. And in doing so, to follow Jesus and to imitate him in all that we can, both in word and indeed. And so let us be true representatives of God in every element of our lives. Let me pray, um, and I'm going to just um, use Psalm 119, which was read out, 29 to 40, uh, as uh, what I've formed this prayer from. So let's pray. Lord, keep us firm in your truth, and stop us from any form of untruth in our lives. Let us know your instructions and choose to be faithful. Let us pursue your commands and expand our understanding of you.
Give us understanding to obey your instructions and to put them into practice with all our heart. Make us walk along the path of your commands and have an eagerness <coughs> for truth. As a church, help us to fix our eyes on you as you give us life through your word. Reassure us of your promise when we doubt. Help us to remove that which is not of you in our ways. And as we walk with you every day, renew our lives with your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.